Wow, that was like a therapy session. I just spoke to Anna Martha, who is a psychotherapist, speaker and author, and you are going to love this. Why? Well, we delved into nearly all, maybe not all, but lots of areas that us women dread, go through, survive, such as imposter syndrome, mother's guilt, depression, postnatal depression, not feeling worthy, beating ourselves up. I mean, all of these sorts of things. And it was just a breath of fresh air. She tackles it in a way that helps us understand why we feel what we feel. Not afraid to go there, breaking down those terrible monologues that go around and around in our heads. And it was just the perfect pick-me-up. I so needed this. And I think when you've listened to it, you're going to say exactly the same thing. Enjoy. Take notes and enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not on the High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Anna. I know we've spoken quite a few times now, but we've actually never had a proper one-to-one, like our alone time. And I'm looking at your glorious face um, and we're here sitting, having a good chinwag before we started, but it's just so lovely. I can't wait for this. Oh, Holly, thank you so much. I feel massively honoured, honoured to be in your presence, even if it's digital. But imagining that we're sat together with a cup of tea. Well, we do. We have our, we've been slurping away, haven't we? We have. I want to get stuck in because last time we caught up, actually, it was on an Instagram live uh, quite a few weeks ago. And it was when the kids were just going back to school. How is life now? Is it a bit more settled? Because we had this whole homeschooling thing. And actually, I love that you have a bit of an issue with that word. Yeah, yeah. So I realised quite early on that what I was trying to do was almost replicate school yeah I was just struggling it was like the bar was set really high and I think I stood in the kitchen surrounded by all of these kind of tiny little plastic bears we'd been using for counting and a whiteboard I've got off Amazon and I suddenly realized that you know this isn't homeschooling this is like emergency schooling you know I don't have to be a teacher I just have to tick the minimum boxes to get through it and at that moment it was like I gave myself permission not to do a job that I hadn't trained for. Mm. And I just lowered the bar to a place that was actually, it felt more doable. And my shoulders just kind of dropped (laughs) in that moment. And I think, yeah, sometimes we just need to lower the bar for ourselves. And that was a bit of a turning point. Yeah. You referred to it's like emergency schooling. Yeah, emergency schooling. Why didn't we call it that? I don't know. That is just this ridiculous notion because actually homeschooling 
people do homeschooling, right? They're really set yeah. up for it. That's what they wanted to do. Yeah. You're equipped. You're on that journey. To call it sort of that for the rest of us, it should have been called emergency schooling. And just by its name, we would have viewed it differently. Yeah. And I think also the acknowledgement, I think, because most of the contact we've had with other people in the wider world has been through social media, where there's just a total mixture of experiences. And I think, you know, I with my three kids and like a toddler that was just wrecking everything that we were doing and causing absolute chaos, it was really challenging. And I think I was looking at these images and you never know what that behind the scenes looks like. And, you know, I've got friends that have one child and haven't aren't working kind of in a classical format. So they had less to juggle. So they had more time to kind of go out and do these lovely nature walks and like tick all of the boxes. And mm. we were even given extra optional extra worksheets. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it was like day two where I was like, I'm not even going to try and be the person that does that. We're just going to let that go. Yeah. And I think it's just giving yourself permission to be where you are. We all have different resources available to us. Mm. It's not an even playing field. No, it's not. I sent the teachers an email and I said, I can't upload stuff to Google Classroom because with two kids, it's taken me hours and I just cried about it. My toddler nearly fell off the chair because I wasn't watching her. You know, everybody has cried today. And I basically just sent them this email to say, this is the reality. We're going to do our best. Mm. And they both emailed back and said, that's all we're asking is just try, do what you can. And I think that honesty from my part got that response of, well, yeah, that's all we're hoping for. So it just affirmed that kind of lowering the bar a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I actually think that a lot of teachers did want that. But when you're communicating with a huge group of people, again, it was almost like one rule has to fit all. What an extraordinary time we've gone through. Now, you're a psychotherapist, you're an author, you're a speaker. But I think that the thing that defines you the most and what I absolutely adore about you is this unique ability that you have with your work to humanize humanize our senses and our emotions. And it's what really draws me to you. And it's what I think draws everyone to you. You have this real beautiful openness about you. And you know that feeling you get when you probably, by the way, you're going to go, yes, Holly, that's the point. I trained in this. I'm like, you know, when you sit with someone and they've got that mummy feel and you just basically start telling them all your secrets <laughs> and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but you'll be like, yes, that's because I'm very, very good at what I do, Holly. But you have a strong belief, don't you, in the power of vulnerability, yeah. of being raw. Do you know what the funny thing is, is that I've always been that person that people have opened up to. I've always been the one sitting with someone in the corner at a party whilst they tell me their life story, even before I did any training. Mm. I don't know if it's because of my own story of what I've been through in my life or that actually the fact that for me, a big coping mechanism to cope with what I've been through. So I've been through kind of loss and, you know, the usual complicated, dysfunctional family things we all have in our closet. And I think one of my coping mechanisms for that was to be the listener to everyone else. Maybe if I can help everybody else, I feel better about mm. the messy parts of myself. And it was almost like a coping mechanism that I was that person that was there for everyone else. I've had to do a lot of unpicking of that, of actually, I need to be honest with people too. Mm. You know, I need to be opening up to people too, so that I'm not just the one that people come to. So yes, it's part of being a therapist, I guess. I have a lot of empathy and I can help people untangle things a little bit. But 
I've had to learn to be that person that talks about these things as well, because it's not actually my natural way. Yeah. So what, what people see and my openness and my vulnerability has very much been something I've had to learn to save my own mental health. Mm. But it's, yeah, I've not always been this way. That's so interesting, isn't it? I feel very, very similar. You studied psychology initially at Loughborough Uni and then at Regent's College. And I know that before all of this, though, you tragically lost your sister to cancer when you were a child. And Mm. I think you were 10. Yeah. Well, I cannot imagine the trauma that your family and yourself must have gone through. And I think that's what you were just touching on, you know, your own journey in life. This is so much to deal with, but especially as a 10-year-old. Do you think that that's what drew you to psychology? It was almost for me initially a way, not a way of healing, but a way of escaping. Mm. So my way of dealing with grief was very much to push it down, to be the strong one. I didn't want to be upset in front of my family because I didn't want to make them feel sad. Mm -hmm. So I was always kind of a supporter and a comforter. And there was a lot of chaos in my family growing up in different ways. And then there was a lot of my sister. And I just always wanted to be very neat. I wanted to help others. I found it uncomfortable when I saw people around me sad. So I wanted to make them feel happy. So I would be the comforter. I would be the supporter in my family of even my parents. So I think kind of I grew up thinking that's my place is that I can help other people stop being sad and I can help myself stop being sad by helping other people. So it was almost a coping mechanism. It was almost a protective way of avoiding my own grief. They often say when you become a therapist, you get the therapy you need. Right. And I think that was so true for me. I went in wanting to help people and I actually ended up learning that we can't fix each other. You know, we can't stop each other feeling sad. Actually, the most healthy thing of all is often to support people in the sadness and to be there Mm -hmm. with their sadness. And I got this therapy because it was part of the training. And in that, I just had to start unpacking all of this stuff and started to realise that, you know, the real healing isn't in finding ways to hold yourself together. It's in finding ways to let go. And what do you mean by letting go? Just to feel the feelings. Right. To feel the sadness. Because the only way through grief is to grieve. The only way, you know, tears, crying is productive in itself because the release of hormones, it's actually really good for us to cry. And I think for so much of my life, so many of my years, it's all been about the best way to be as strong, Mm -hmm. the best way to be as tidy. I'm a perfectionist. And I think I applied that to my own emotional processes and my own way of being. And I wanted to be neat. I didn't want to burden anyone. So yes, in becoming a therapist, I changed myself. My whole way of approaching life was turned on its head. And do you think now when you look back at who you could have become to who you are now today, does that slightly worry you what that path could have led to? Absolutely, because if you're a perfectionist and you apply that to your whole way of being, it leaves absolutely no space for humanness, no space for chaos, no space for getting it wrong. No space for having like rough edges and kind of dark and musty corners, which we all have. If we try and avoid those parts of ourselves, we will forever be feeling guilty. We will forever be feeling ashamed, completely unnecessarily. 
I'm sure as so many people right now are nodding. <laughs> I'm nodding, everyone listening as well. Your career then took you on a path. You worked as a psychotherapist in several different environments, from GP practice in Brixton to Wimpole Street, before setting up as a private practitioner. It was at this point, am I right in thinking, that you also had this moment of you bought a new home and this home actually brought you to Instagram, bizarrely, and this sort of whole new journey. Well, I know my Not in the High Street journey started with a wreath. Mm. And when people ask me about this vegetable wreath, I'm like, I wish the story was sexier, but it's not. This is the story. Tell me about your story and what happened with this home move. Yeah, so I we lived in this little cottage. I had a one-year-old got pregnant and then we started thinking man we haven't even got anywhere to park the car the garden is dangerous we need to move it didn't even have a you know it had a toilet downstairs through the kitchen I was kind of had a sore back in pregnancy and was just kind of crawling along the kitchen units trying to go to the toilet a million times a night and we thought man wouldn't it be amazing to have a toilet upstairs wouldn't it be amazing to have a driveway so we started looking to move and we bought a new build house which is great. We've been here for four years, but I had no idea how to make it feel like home because it was just this white box. So I downloaded Instagram. I realized that there was this whole community on there of people that had moved into new build houses. There's pockets of communities for absolutely everything and they were making it home. So having never really had a particular interest in interiors, it was, I just found it quite inspiring. I got loads of good ideas. So I started this account and it was called New Build Interiors Scrapbook. That's what it was called back a few years ago. That was what my Instagram was called. And I just put screenshots of like lamps and tiles and my friends were a bit bored of me sending them to them. So I thought, well, I can just collect them all here. And I think I did an Instagram live when I moved in for these people that had been kind of following the journey as we had been following each other's. And I remember one person saying, what do you do for, what's your actual job? And I said, oh, I'm a psychotherapist. And then a couple of people asked me, you know, oh, I've got anxiety, have you got any tips? And I realised that I just love putting these concepts into words that can equip people, that can, that they can kind of take these little theories, they can take these little ways of reframing things and just apply them to a, their own lives. And I've, I've since found that there is a word for it called psychoeducation. Mm. I didn't even know that was a thing. What's that? It's educating people on their feelings and thoughts. It's helping people understand themselves because often I think we judge what we do not know. And we know this in wider life. Like we judge what we do not know of people. If we do not know their story and they might act in a certain way, we might judge that because we do not know. Mm -hmm. And actually it's the same for ourselves as well. Like often we judge ourselves. The amount of times I've been frustrated or irritated at like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me? Why do I think like that? Why do I respond like that? You know, I'm just so, I'm broken or there's something wrong with me or you know, I messed up, you know, all of those things that I've said about myself over years. And, and actually I've learned the more I understand myself and why I know the whys and the hows, the more compassion I can have for myself, mm. you know, and the hope is that in, in almost educating people a little bit on why you might feel like this, why it's okay to find something hard, like why finding something hard in parenting doesn't mean that you don't love your kids, you know, just those simple kind of Yes. Actually, it's okay to feel two things at once. Yeah. And those things can just free people of the shame and the guilt they have around really normal human responses to their circumstances. So it's this education. It's almost giving people the gift of being able to find compassion 
for themselves in the normal feelings that they may have just judged and felt guilty about and felt shame about. And that can change lives. Like That's changed my life. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. It's like giving people light bulb moments mm. on their everyday thoughts that if actually they didn't stop and change it would probably exist till the day that they die. Yeah. What I also love is that because you use the way that you humanize things, that you give people these tools, but you started sharing experiences on Instagram. And of course, you have this as I just said, immense knowledge. But then you wrote about your experiences of postnatal depression with your second child in this really raw and honest way. And this is what I'm really admiring here is that you're tackling not taboo subjects as much, but hidden subjects. Yeah. That, you know, these hidden things. And you spoke about having one face for the outside world and another behind this closed doors. Mm. And that it was hard to accept that after years of helping other people, because I was thinking this, you know, mm. in your profession, do you know what I mean? Like a firefighter definitely doesn't want to have a fire starting in their home. You know what I mean? Yeah. How did you feel about that? And how did you feel the strength really to talk about it? It really shook me going through, I'd had depression before in the past and then I'd had therapy and I'd become a therapist. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go through that again, am I? Because I've got all the tools now. And I think often what happens with postnatal depression with depression, it's kind of like the slow descent. It's not like you just wake up one day suddenly and you feel completely different. Then it can be hard sometimes to, re to recognize the signs in yourself when it's just kind of incremental. And I was so sleep deprived and we just lack kind of clarity and rationality when we're exhausted. So it's hard to see the wood for the trees. But on realising that I had postnatal depression, it really shook me and it, it made me realise afresh how important these things are that I'd been learning and speaking with clients about and I had been in, applying in my own life. But sometimes life just levels up. It's like, you know, if I was to go downstairs and lift like a 10 kilo weight and try and do a bicep curl with it, it would be an extra kind of draw on my resources. You know, my muscles aren't big enough to do mm. that. It's a sudden kind of leveling up that actually sometimes life just peels off another layer and we're like, oh, okay, there's more work to be done here. I wasn't expecting that. And it just kind of strips something else away. And I think, you know, the postnatal depression, it was just the circumstances my middle child had silent reflux and I hadn't been through that before. It was just like a leveling up. It was just another kind of demand on my resources. It just peeled off another layer that made me realise again and afresh how utterly important vulnerability is, how utterly important honesty is, how I need people. I need people. Mm. And that's just a fact of humanity. That's not a failure on my part. Lots of people listening now might be going, right, so this can happen at any stage, depression, postnatal depression, all of it. And I think what you've just said there, again, just humanises it. Mm. When you said you were slipping down that slope, what were those signs? Just exhaustion, not just physically, but mentally. Like The things that I'd enjoyed, the things that I'd laughed about, the friendships that I'd invested in, I just didn't have the motivation or the energy. Everything just felt grey and dark and hopeless. Mm. The sparkle had gone from my eyes, like the spring had gone from my step. And it wasn't just because I was tired. I was just, I had nothing to give. I, you know, I just did the very basic things to get me through. Yet how I presented myself, you would never have known. Mm -hmm. Because one of my coping mechanisms is, and, and I often write about this, that sometimes, you know, looking together 
is a defense against falling apart. Yes. And this is a big challenge in our culture, I think, you know. If I wear a full face of makeup and I dress nicely, you walk out the door and everyone assumes that you're fine Mm -hmm. because we equate how we look externally to how we are internally. And we know that for ourselves, that isn't true. And that's why we can feel so disconnected because the world is approaching us in one way, yet we feel such a mess inside. Mm. And it's this disconnection between the outside and the inside. And and actually, you know, what's tricky about that is that for many people like myself, looking together as a defense against falling apart, I didn't want people to worry about me Mm. because that was my childhood that was my way of dealing with emotion was I'm fine I'm fine please don't worry about me I want to help you and the only way that I you know massive turning point for me and it has always been the turning point in in the kind of the low points in my life is that I have to realize that needing people isn't failure it's a prerequisite of being human Mm. you know we need each other no matter what skills you have a heart surgeon and all of his professional knowledge and his skill, he isn't immune from having a problem with his heart. He isn't immune from needing a heart surgeon. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's... Well, it's so beautiful. It's this kind of furious self-sufficiency that we that is kind of encouraged in our culture that to be doing well and to be strong is, is to have it together and to not need anyone, where that's just absolutely toxic. It's killing people. Yeah. And we need to battle with this in ourselves. For me, it's something I'll always battle with. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a whole range of topics, including how to create a compelling brand story. Here I am talking to the wonderful Alex Monroe from Alex Monroe Jewelry, all about what brand means to him. Brand for me was always really simple. It's just, it's basically, it's me. It's like who I am and what I do. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think for me, it was something that I just left art school and I was doing what I was doing and it was quite distinctive. And then you sort of begin to discover your brand. So in in a way, a bit like if you try and learn how to write or to draw or anything like that, you kind of discover your personality by the process of doing it. It would have been hard for me to have completely laid out my brand before I started. I think I needed to start and then realize who I was. The thing to remember is that I'm no different to anyone else. And everyone has an interest and everyone has a story and everyone has a personality. Whenever anyone does something, it's different because it's them doing it. So I always think it's really important for anyone, don't think that you haven't kind of got some zing or some special thing like a sort of celebrity does, because you do, because you're you and you being you means you're different to other people. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a tech in a box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. For years, decade at least, I nonstop was one person. The person who had it together would solve any issue, look a certain way, behave a certain way, and never 
equated business with vulnerability. Mm. I mean, that these two things do not go together. And I think that that's what the interesting journey that I'm on in taking is how can those two things coexist where being vulnerable, being human within business is not seen as a weakness, but is actually a new way of looking at it all. The times that we just look at business and the huge corporates, you know, that's what we think when we think business, you know, that's what we've sort of been trained to think or subconsciously. And you just wouldn't put emotions with business. And I hope we go on a journey where it is more open. Being down does not mean you're not a great business person. It just means you're human. But yes, but human hasn't been part of business for so long. No. And so it's it's quite an interesting thing. And then top up, put the whipped cream on top of the cake. You're a woman. Yeah. You know, and then so, gosh, definitely you can't be an emotional woman, no, you know, when no. so many times in business I've heard the businesses you create are just so emotional, Holly. They're just so emotional. And that gets into your subconscious, right? You're like, yes, it is, but I'm not. That's just a bit of that going on. Mm, and mm. we're still here today. Yeah. It's not like this is like we've just got the last bit to work no, on no. and then we've sorted it. Yeah. You know, we've got a long journey. Yeah. And this is why behind the scenes, and I can see this both in my workplace and on a, on a cultural level, this is why there is constant burnout. It's because, you know, we wake up with different resources every single day. So depending on how we've slept, depending on what we've eaten the day before, depending on who we've spoken to, depending on how the kids were that morning, we all have different resources available all the time. Yet we're living and expecting ourselves to function at a high level constantly. It doesn't flex. No, between the output and what we've got to spend. So when we're spending more than we have available to us, maybe one day, maybe a couple of days a week, and we're ignoring kind of the edges of our own resources, we're going to burn out. Mm. We're going to burn out. And this happens behind the scenes and it people self-medicating with alcohol and other ways of just kind of shutting down this stress response in their body because they're like, no, 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 I need to carry on functioning at this level. But the yeah. more we acknowledge our humanness, the less we're in denial of it, the less we'll burn out. Yeah. Because these burnouts are happening behind the scenes. There's always a cost. It might be a marriage. Yes. You know, that might be the cost. It might be relationships with the kids. It might be the fact that you've got nothing left of yourself. You can't laugh anymore because actually, believe it or not, it takes energy to laugh. It takes energy to enjoy life. It takes energy to rationalise anxious thoughts. Yeah. And when we're working to the edge of our resources the whole time, we deplete ourselves at the very essence often of what makes us us, it has a massive cost. And sometimes, as you said, it's invisible. I think of a marriage like a ice sculpture, you know, and I always say to Frank, you've just got to be careful. Chip, 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 mm. chip away. Mm. It can regrow, but like I almost look at it that way so that we're super careful about the relationship because actually you're so right, that can be an absolute cost yeah. of your yourself, your daily life, that actually behind the scenes, things are not so great. But going back to all of the things that you're talking about and us women, and, you know, last time we were on Instagram Live, we were talking about imposter syndrome, another beautiful thing that we struggle with. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, there's this big mother's guilt, parental guilt. I just wanted to sort of touch on it because I spoke to someone the other day, you know, Harry was three months old when I started Not On The High Street. I did miss all sports days. I remember when I made my transition between Notting High Street and Holly & Co., the first thing I did 
was I turned up at his sports days with all this A4 paper saying, mummy's here, and let him know, I feel emotional saying that, but let him know Mm. that now things will be different. You know, your mum will be here. But I, almost by doing that, I was somehow saying, and look how bad I have been for not being at your sports days. And Mm. even though I would never have said I had mother's guilt, and the other day he's 16 and he's doing his GCSEs, and I sat here typing away and thought, oh my gosh, again, I'm not there for him. This is it. This is what we've been building up to, right? When they're two, it's one thing. But when they're about to do their GCSEs, I'm like, what am I doing not being there for him? Even though, again, I wouldn't say I have mother's guilt. It sits there, doesn't it? How do we change this internal monologue and tackle what some of us would say we don't have mother's guilt, but quite obviously Mm, I do? mm. So I, I developed this technique. I don't know how it just came to me. And I was like, there must be a way of approaching guilt. And I think the the sentence that I replay in my mind is guilt is there to prompt you not to shame you. Okay. And I think so often we carry it around and we let guilt. So we feel a pang of guilt or we feel a pang of, oh, I should have done this or I could have done that or mm-hmm. I'm not good enough or I need to do better next time. And we just let it kind of poke a finger at us shame us. And then we carry it around feeling like a lesser person. And then when we feel guilt and we carry it around, we're more likely to be self-critical. We're more likely to kind of punish ourselves, to equalise that feeling in the hopes that maybe if I'm cross with myself, some of that guilt will dissipate because, yes, you know, it's just punishing, isn't it? Self-sabotage, we're more likely to self-sabotage, engage in self-destructive behaviour. So guilt, when it's unaddressed, we carry it around and it's it's toxic. Guilt is there to prompt you not to shame you. So when you feel guilty, I've got this process called the ACT, A-C-T, address it. Ask yourself, what is this guilt? For you, it's that I feel like I should have been there more. Okay, that's the guilt. So imagine mm-hmm. holding it in your hand like a bit of coal and that's what it is. You've named it. C, compassion. Because I don't care what you've done, how bad you think you are, you are always deserving of compassion. You are human. You know, so often we just try to do the best we can with what we have. So how can you pour some compassion into that feeling of guilt? So we might say it's often easier to get it from other people than it is to give it to ourselves. But I might say, Holly, look at what you've done. Look at what you've built up. Look at what you've taught him through that. What are you holding in your mind? Are you holding in your mind this idea of what the perfect mum should be and how you've fallen short of that? The perfect mum should always be there. The perfect mum should always be the one making the sandwiches, always doing the pickups. Would you have been happy? Would you have felt fulfilled if you had not been doing what you had been doing? Mm. You know, might there have been some different choices along the way you might have made differently, perhaps? But actually, you were doing the best you could with the knowledge that you had and the pressure that was on you at the time. Can we just stop the podcast and have a therapy session, please? Because <laughs> I would actually really, I, this is just so beautiful. And it was amazing on my 100th podcast, I actually did ask him a question, which is bizarre that I never asked him, which was, did you miss me? To have I hurt you? Yeah. And, and then I thought, well, why let's, let's record his answer that I didn't know. Mm. And actually, for the first time in 16 years, I asked that question and he couldn't even believe I was asking it. 
he said, I love everything you do. Wow. Everything you bring into my in the house. Oh. It's like we're together on this, Bubba. I never looked for you at the sports day. I never, because you were working and you were building and I'm so proud of you. Mm. Maybe us having this conversation for those listening, you know, that's the full journey from not being there at his steps to a 16-year-old boy who I definitely thought I'd fuck up a hundred billion percent. You know, he was going to be your future client, 100%. But actually, I didn't. And you're right. The guilt was there and I didn't have that coping mechanism. And what a brilliant thing, act. Yeah. So you acknowledge compassion. it. You're compassionate and then you tweak. Yeah. Right. And not twerk. And not twerk. I mean, you can twerk as you tweak. But what a gift to give our children that we are living our fullest selves. And yes, that will have costs. Mm. And yes, sometimes we may need to reassess things. And yes, sometimes we may need to shuffle our priorities about but what a gift because it tells them that they have permission to go and be themselves too. Because do you know yeah. what? I think one of the most life-changing things that has happened to me, and I hope it benefits my kids because it is a really hard thing for me to address, is that I could very naturally be a martyr to motherhood. Okay, you're set up to do that. Your wiring is there. Generationally, that's what's happened in my lovely family. This is what love is. Love is you give yourself, you give yourself, you give yourself to your children and you deny yourself in the process. So you give yourself fully and wholly to them. Yeah. And you almost just like who you were, you know, this is why you get so many mums saying, I don't know who I am anymore. We learned that, that that is what is love is you give yourself wholly to your children. When actually, what about you? You're still a person. Mm. You know, you deserve to live your life too. Your life doesn't stop when you become a mother. Mm. You know, it just changes. And how can we find a way to embrace and give our children the gift of this is how you can live fully as yourself and love at the same time? It's difficult to have conversations, isn't it, about mm. the stuff that's going on inside. What would you say with mental health now fantastically being something that we speak about, how can we surface difficult conversations? You know, it's so easy to approach vulnerability, like we need to rip off the Band-Aid, like we need to just air everything and completely open up. And actually, you know, little steps of vulnerability. You don't have to tell everyone everything and you don't have to tell anyone everything straight away. And when your natural way of coping with things has just been to keep calm and carry on and push it down so that you can function well, simply start by... Just being mindful of how you respond to the friend that asks you if you're okay. And you know that your set response is to say, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks. How are you doing? How are you? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. another one, isn't it? Yeah. How are you doing? I do that all the time. And, you know, often it's just time or it's just actually that they weren't really asking how we are. And But actually, when you speak to those people who have historically been kind and supportive, and just challenge yourself to step outside of that comfort boundary of I'm fine. And maybe one day you, you can test these things. Mm. You know, it's an honour to see behind the I'm okay. Anyone that knows how you really are, that is an honour for them. It's not everyone needs to be afforded that honour. You need to feel safe. So how can you just take a little step of vulnerability? And it might be just that you test it and you say, yeah, I'm just having a really challenging day today, feeling a bit rubbish. How are you doing? And you've given a little bit. Yep. So it gives them then a chance to respond to you and they might say, oh, sorry about that, me too. Or they might say, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to go for a walk? 
do you want? And then, you, you know, just encouraging yourself little by little by little. To open up. To open up a bit more. To validate and value your emotions. I think we often don't do that. We, you know, gratitude is amazing. Gratitude has absolutely changed my entire life. It's changed my relationship. However, I think often the way gratitude is used is to completely bat away and shame challenging or difficult emotion. I'm having a hard time. Well, I should feel grateful because I have a house, we're healthy, other people have it harder. And suddenly you've completely and utterly devalued a very valid emotion. Mm -hmm. And so I love the word and. It's like one of my favourite words is you can feel something is hard and you can feel grateful for it at the same time. Whereas I think so often we do that, this is hard, but I feel grateful. And then you said that actually what went before isn't really that important and the focus is on the gratitude and you can feel both. What a simple word. Yes, I love it. The simple things. And, and the way you're talking, no wonder you have such a phenomenal Instagram following. You've built your business, I suppose, like I have on Instagram. Was that a conscious decision or do you think it was a bit of a perfect storm? Because I know so many businesses now, this is what we do. This is how businesses start. Mm. Um, But actually there's a bit of a, because of its, I think, growth, people think there's a bit of a mystery around it, a bit of a Mm. black art, you know, that you're sort of somehow conjuring up followers (laughs) and how does this happen? And we, we always talk about the sort of algorithms and all this sort of stuff, but was it a perfect storm? And do you have some sort of mystical potion that you pour on what you do? I think... It was a perfect storm, but then I put my energy where things are going. So yeah, I think I was giving lots of advice, doing lots of Instagram lives. I, my following increased, and I thought, man, this is taking up hours. I, I got a couple. I got one day childcare that was costing me. You know, mm. it was outgoings. Yeah, I wasn't earning anything. Yeah. So I was kind of helping lots of people and I wasn't, then I was spending money to allow me to do that. And I thought, man, I have to monetize this somehow just so that I'm breaking even. Yeah. What did I first do? I wrote a course called the Nice Girl course and it's about kind of people pleasing. And it's actually now called the people pleasing course. It's, it's kind of, you know, for, for all genders. I, I had men approach me saying, you're going to write a nice, a nice man's course. And I, so I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, de, de girl this course. And I started offering coaching sessions, these kind of one to one telephone calls where I could just help people untangle things a little bit. And I charged for those. I just tend to in life put my energy into the doors that are opening. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I've got a very creative brain. I wish it would stop sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. When it feels right, you're like, okay, well, let's keep going. Let's, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to follow the lead of the universe who's telling me that something's going on, but it's not easy. You know, I I think that um, certainly I empathize with what you're doing, you know, Actually, building a business on Instagram, building content, your 60 second sessions, you know, fantastic. But this is the reality is it's your job. Yes. You need to make an income from it. And actually, that's always quite a difficult thing to do. It's fine having products, you know, maybe selling something. Mm -hmm. But if you're not selling anything, really, except yourself, is actually quite a difficult thing to master, isn't it? Yeah, I think especially in, in the therapy world where it is seen as a very altruistic profession. Yes. You train as a therapist because you want to help people. So then, you know, this brings up questions around money or why do you want to yeah. charge? If you want to, if you want to help me, why do you want to charge? And actually, I thought about this the other day and it blew my mind. 
I think I employ seven people. Wow. I have seven people that I pay and a few of those are monthly outgoings. I'm paying people's wages. Yeah. And I, I never, ever, ever imagined that it would turn into this along the way. It's not been an accident, but it's also not, it wasn't that four years ago I sat there and thought this is what I want to do. But yes, it's really important to value what I do. And, you know, I charge for my courses and they're between 25 and 50 pounds. And, and sometimes I get people say, well, do you offer it for free? And I have done before, but when I've put discount codes on, on things, people just use them re- regardless. So I've ensured that I've got things available at all price points or no price points. So there are podcasts. Mm-hmm. I did my own, the first series I, I paid, I think it was two and a half thousand pounds to do it because I didn't have a sponsor. So I wanted to put that out for people. So that was like a gift, you know, that's free. And there's there's loads of stuff I've written out there. There's loads of, you know, IGTVs that I've done to help people. So there are free things. Yes. All my words are free and I spend hours doing that and it hours, you know, kind of replying to comments yes. and things. And yes. it's not like I'm not doing things for free, but at some point it's a business. I need to earn money and I want to earn money because there is value in what I do. And and also I pay people as well. So it made me take it a bit more seriously and take what I do a bit more seriously. On my 40th birthday, I worked out that on average you have 29,000 days on this planet. This knowledge has since filled me with a focus and desire to not only make each day count, but to strive to be deeply happy and fulfilled. So I decided to put pen to paper and wrote Do What You Love, Love What You Do to help follow your passion and build your happiest life. From money fears to sharing all my biggest mistakes so you don't have to, Do What You Love, Love What You Do is packed full of tangible advice alongside colour and creativity. And in a world first, its very own product collection. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out now. Head to holly.co slash book to buy your copy today. about sharing do you feel pressure to share everything like do you have a a way of working out what's really personal and what is sort of semi-personal but you're happy to share it yeah my rule of thumb is that there needs to be a beginning a middle and an end so when I share something of my own experience it is purely to act as a framework on which to apply some you know it might be some a gift of like increased awareness or it might be, you know, a technique or a reframing idea. So there will always be a beginning and a middle and an end. With my own content, I don't just put it out there for putting it out there's sake. It's because I'm using my own experience to kind of build upon it something that will be helpful for other people. People think I share a lot, but actually there's so much I don't. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with a friend a few years ago and I was like, you don't reply to my messages we don't talk anymore. And she was like, well, to be honest, Anna, I, I know everything from your Instagram and it kind of makes me feel like I, I know how you are. So I don't think to ask. And I remember saying, I'm pregnant. You don't know that I'm pregnant. Instagram doesn't know that I'm pregnant. I've been in hospital. I've got high premises. Like life is just really challenging at the minute. That's not on there. Mm. You know, there is so much, so much that goes on behind the scenes that I do not share on there. And I think, you know, I posted a picture the other day with a quote about the end. So I was writing hard and hard and good. And it was, yeah, I was using one of my own thoughts as a kind of a bit of a framework for that. And I had a picture of my kids' bats because I don't put my kids' faces on there. I never have. And I suddenly thought, I don't even want them on there anymore at all. 
So I took the picture down and I've decided I don't even have a kind of in-depth rationale for this. It's just that as things grow, I don't want my kids on there anymore. I just think, yeah, there are certain parts of my life that I may stop sharing or I may start sharing or, but it will always be a complete process. Like I won't share things that are undone. Yes. I wouldn't share a thought or a feeling that I hadn't somehow processed and someone couldn't learn something helpful from. That's the key, isn't it? It's how can someone take something away from this or... Or it's not going up there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you know, it, whether it makes them happy, inspired, yeah. learn something, but they need to take something away. Always. And that's my my rule. And would you say that's your tip to anyone listening who is trying to build an Instagram following to help uh, start to become cemented in their customers' minds or their followers' minds? Oh, I don't know, because it's different. It's It's just so different depending on what context. I I always want to give a gift in what I write. I always want to give someone something. And I think on social media now, we're all scrolling through at different points in our day and we're looking for something. We go there because we're looking for something. It might be distraction. It might be because we're bored. It might be because we're sad. It might be, you know, we're all there looking for something. And I think if you can give something in what you write, whether it's in, you know, I tend to follow people that make me laugh make me think. Mm. And it's, I Mm. want something when I go there. Yeah. Different things at different times, but how can you make sure that what you're sharing is a giving value in some way? I call it the, your diamond. And I think that, you know, that's what I really hope people find and that their business in a way, the journey of their business shines that diamond. And that is potentially almost what then people need to see in everything that you do. And as long as that's there, mm. then I think then mm. by very nature, it will be useful. Yeah. Like in, in some way, a bit like your courses are super useful. And I absolutely love the, the lockdown mums course. Tell me about this. <laughs> that was very much. I went for a walk with a friend who had a baby in May. So she had this kind of little tiny newborn and it was just as we were allowed to walk with people. And she was just, it was her first baby. And she was saying, I, I haven't met any other mums. You know, I've done some antenatal stuff on, on Zoom and it's hard and, and I, I don't have a point of reference. So I can't have these little conversations about how well the baby slept. And I just thought, man, there has been such a lack of support and it's not for a want of trying. You know, I know many mid, midwives and GPs are, are feeling really aggrieved by yeah, that kind of lack of contact that they're able to offer people. So I thought, what can I do? I I want to do something. So I created this kind of Zoom course. So I learned how to use this kind of webinar thing and, you know, quick learning. I definitely cried over it because it's not, it's not my natural, all of this techie stuff. I did over a month, I think it was August. Oh, I did four sessions, an hour long, and they were on everything from like guilt and, you know, these kind of postnatal emotions and the impact on relationships. And I think over that month, I think I had around 10,000 <gasps> mums. Most of those people joined for free. So I, I just wanted to put it out there. So it was free or you could yes. contribute a bit if you wanted to. But I think the maximum was like 15 pounds. But I think about 70% of people chose the free option. That was really why it was just a conversation with a mate and just feeling sad, really, and wanting to do something. How brilliant. And how many people you must have helped. You must get a lot of great feedback. Like we talked about payment. And by the way, it's it's so important. You know, 
if people like what you do, they need to pay you because mm. actually that's your day job. Unless you can pay your bills, you can't do this. You know, this is the other thing. It's, yeah. You know, people don't realise yeah. I actually have to earn money and have a living. I had a sit down with a business coach and he went through my finances with me and he showed me the amount of discount I'd given in the last year. And he was like, this is, this is very generous, this is great, but you can't run a business, Anna. And I pay bills and I think there were, there were months where I was a bit nervous. So I've had to really change the way that I approach mm-hmm. what I charge and how I charge. And it's uncomfortable for me. Often therapists, they're altruistic at heart. They want to do things to help people. And, but actually you can do that and charge. Yeah. Just not apologising for that. Yeah, it's been a real shift for me and it's uncomfortable because I want to caveat everything with, but I need to, but, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm, and actually it's trying not to apologise for. Well, you know, we've got to invest in people that we want to see here in a decade's time. That as far as I'm concerned, you know, Mm. there'll be more and more people, but you will get closer and closer to those who are almost like your coaches, but from afar. And actually there's such value in that. There's such value in that. Wouldn't you, I would have wished to have known you at the beginning of Not on the High Street. You know, (laughs) there wasn't things like social media. You know, we've got to think Mm. about those who we really love and supporting you on your journey so that you can keep rising and keep giving us your inspiration. Talking about inspiration, you have a second book coming out, Know Your Worth. It's out in May. Yeah. My book's out in May. We've both got our books out in <gasps> I May. Know, twins. We're going to have to be like book <laughs> I've twins. I've got yours have... on pre-order, Holly. Oh my oh, goodness. Man, just, oh, I'm going to send you wait. one. Well, bless you. Tell me, what can we expect from your book? It took me a long time of working with clients to realise that actually you can equip people, you can give them tools, you can give them insights, but unless they realise that they are worthy of good things, Mm. of good relationships. That's always going to be the barrier of actually putting these things into practice. You know, I was working with clients that were saying, I know the things, I've had the therapy, but I cannot for the life of me consistently put it into practice in my life. Mm -hmm. And often the reason when we get down to it is, do you actually believe that you are worthy of having freedom from that? or investing in that relationship, or not sabotaging that relationship, or of the love of your children. And that's the the dedication in the book is that I will always be working on my worth so that I can continue to dare to believe that I'm worthy of the love of my children. Mm. Because for so many years of my life, I found deep discomfort in love and receiving support and receiving kindness and receiving compliments because underneath it all, I didn't believe I was good enough. So, you know, working on worth for me has been the key to unlocking, being able to implement different habits, being able to challenging certain thought patterns, being able to invest in certain relationships that previously I didn't feel deserving of. This book is for those people who are like, I know the stuff, but something's stopping me from actually implementing it. And it's that recognizing that our worth never changed. We don't need to earn our way to worth. Our worth never changed our understanding of it. Do you have an ultimate goal? I I get asked this sometimes and I find it hard to answer. Do you know what? I would just love to support women in transforming their experience of motherhood. Mm -hmm. I have this whole plan, Holly, that is literally going around and around in my head and in my dreams at the moment that I won't speak about because I haven't started it yet. (laughs) But I just want to help mums feel more compassionate towards themselves, to feel less unjustifiable guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I and I think if we can find ways to address guilt and we can find ways to to recognize 
that we're deserving of compassion. Our whole lives can change. Our whole experience of motherhood can change. The way that we make decisions, the relationships that we have can completely change. What you've said today will change. It's a gift. And I feel completely honoured to be speaking to you, actually. It's just been such a, I could talk, well, at the therapy session, you know, I'd definitely be (laughs) racking up a big bill if this, you know, and I would pay because I totally value you. (laughs) I end all these um, beautiful interviews with my wonderful guests, which you are one of them, um, with the analogy that your journey in life and, and in business is like an epic roller coaster, And that has been true to me and I'm sure true to you. Tell me about what you would say was one of your biggest lows? Just being so utterly depleted that I couldn't even make decisions. Yeah, just getting to that point where giving, giving, giving had such a massive cost because I felt a burden to receive that I I lost it myself. Do you think that's a woman's problem? Yeah, I think because we've got this toxic equation of love being giving Yes, without limit yeah so we lose ourselves because we we give it all and we we feel guilty when we rest we feel guilty when we stop we feel guilty if a friend cares you know and it's we need to break through that because this is not sustainable we will just live life on a burnout cycle you know Mm. we give 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 we crash we give 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 we crash Mm. that's not how we're created to be and tell me on the other side with the wind in your hair with a huge smile on your face what's been a greatest high just the moments I feel like I am breaking through being more authentically myself without fear that I will do this and I won't fear if it fails because my heart is in it. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't make me a lesser person that I will invest in this relationship. And if it doesn't go well, then, you know, I'm going with my heart. And if it doesn't go well, it's not a reflection on me. I'm not a lesser person. So it's just when you are empowered just to be authentic in business, in social life, it's just, yeah, it's, that is who you are created to be. Oh, you set me you set me up today. You really, really have. Good. You know what? This has just been glorious. And, you know, your wisdom and warmth is what's so refreshing. And so many people I know have told you that, firstly, but also just it is something that's so different. And I just cannot wait to see where you go. Oh, thank you. You're going to be someone I'm going to watch and cheerlead from the sidelines. And if there's anything I can ever do, I just really oh, do believe in you. what you are doing. And you're such the woman for the job. But for now, you have prepared a letter to your younger self. And I'm so looking forward to this. I don't know what it's going to say, but I know, no doubt you've shared a piece of your soul with us. It's an emotional thing to do. It is. What a task to be set. It is. I hand over to you as someone who's now done it, but I'd only did it after a hundred episodes and then bawled my (laughs) eyes out. Um, You know, I just couldn't believe it, what I'd been asking people to do and I hadn't done it myself. So now knowing what it's like, I am going to hand over to you and um, (laughs) thank you again for so much love um, that you shared with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Right, okay. A letter to my younger self. Oh, Anna. You are 15. I'm speaking to you as your 35-year-old self, 20 years and three kids ahead, worlds away in many ways. You would not believe the things I could tell you about computers that fit in the palm of your hands and global pandemics. I'll leave you to discover those things yourself. You'll be just fine. But 
the thing I do want to tell you is something I fear you won't believe. But I'll tell you anyway in the hopes that my words will stay with you somehow, in the hopes that they'll play like an echo in the back of your mind, subliminally shifting how you see yourself, and perhaps one day you'll listen. I know that one day you will embody the truth I'm about to tell you, but you will be saved from heartache, loneliness and exhaustion if you believe them a little earlier on. Coming to terms with this truth will change your life. You are valuable. Not just because you're nice, not just because you like to help people who are sad, not just because you work hard at everything you do, but simply because you are. You will spend many years trying to work your way to a feeling of worth and value. But listen to my words. You had it all along. Be gentle on yourself physically and mentally. I know your mind can be a cruel place. Try to speak to yourself in the way that you would speak to someone you care about. You deserve those kind words too. The critical mean girl in your mind will only take you further from the truth. This one truth. The one fact I want you to hear. You are valuable. You're a mere five years after losing your sister to cancer. Your sadness is valid. I want you to listen to me. It's okay to be sad. You don't need to hold it together to make everyone else comfortable. You don't want to tuck away those tears and carry them around for years. It's best to let them go. I'm telling you because I know how heavy those unshed tears can become. Sure, you may feel like a mess, but that doesn't make you less valuable. You've already been through quite a lot of messy things in your mere 15 years. I know you feel like you're grown up, but still. But with an extra 20 years on you, let me tell you one cold hard truth. Everyone is messy. We all just have different ways of dealing with it and covering it up. Everyone has their dark corners and rough edges. You are certainly not alone. Feeling messy and broken doesn't make you unlovable. It makes you human. Sharing the burden will not turn you into one. Believe it or not, the things you will go through that you will most fear will push others away will one day be the things that bring you to others. Weather the storms ahead and know that the most challenging of times you will weave into a tapestry of words that will help others find hope in theirs. Your worth is something you can only know. You cannot grow it. As you come to terms with this truth, you will flourish. So the sooner the better, my sweet girl, Anna. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's so emotional, isn't it? Oh, my goodness me. That is so beautiful that you are valuable. You are absolutely everything. It's like you were born to do this. It's a shame because we live a half life if we go to our grave not knowing how deserving we are of good things. I really hope people listen to that. You've shed so much and I'm so sorry for the loss of your sister and I'm so sorry that you went through that. But I'm so happy that you've used your beautiful tools of you to help everybody else and um, we're all the better off for having you in our lives. So thank you. Thank you for that most beautiful letter. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? 
Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.